This is Tax Update for Saturday, October the 29th, 2005. Tax Update is intended for individuals who are capable of doing their own independent tax research. All positions stated in this program should be independently confirmed before being used with any client work, and individuals should be capable of doing their own independent research before making use of this podcast. Tax update can be freely distributed as long as no fee is charged for the distribution of such, such as for a CPE program or something of that sort that would be charged in addition to the tax update, but the materials and the audio file can be freely distributed. This week we're going to deal with two recent cases that illustrate the problem of clients who get optimistic valuations for charitable contribution purposes. That is, we have two cases where there are contributions that were valued well above a recent sale. One, a sale that took place after the taxpayer gave the item away, and the other being actual purchase and acquisition of the item by the taxpayer, who later gave that item away. In both cases, the courts felt that the actual purchase or sale was the better measuring point than the appraisal the taxpayer submitted. The basic rules for contributions other than cash are going to be fair market value, subject to certain limitations that we're not going to consider here under the ordinary income rules and other interesting items that can limit your contribution. But generally for capital gain property, and this is what we're talking about in this case, generally we are looking at the the fair market value of the property being the amount that is given, the amount that is allowed as a charitable contribution. Regulation 1.170A-1C1 provides the definition of fair value for this purpose. And that regulation provides a fair market value is the price at which the property would change hands between a willing buyer and a willing seller, neither being under any compulsion to buy or sell and having reasonable knowledge of relevant facts. Pretty standard definition if we've been around any other definitions of fair market value. That basically the, re, the willing buyer, willing seller test is a pretty standard definition. The catch is, of course, because there's not an actual sale that takes place when we make this transaction to the charity, there's some give in how we determine that number. And sometimes clients are known to be just a little bit optimistic in making the decision as to what was the price at which it would exchange. The courts note, however, that the best evidence of fair market value generally is actual sales. If willing buyers, willing sellers really have purchased this or a very similar piece of property, that's a pretty good indicator of what the value should be for charitable contribution purposes. Of course, in many cases, we don't have such a sale easily available. And in that case, we have an appraisal. But Congress has recognized that appraisers sometimes are aggressive. Congress has been concerned with recent changes, and in fact, we now have new rules on the autos that will force people to pay some attention to later sales of the property. But we'll consider here the more general rule. We have two cases here. Basically, in the first case, we have a piece of property donated by the taxpayer to the charity, and the charity within a few weeks sold the property. In the case in question, 
NHUSS Trust, Tax Court Memorandum 2005-236. The taxpayers, who had a number of other problems and issues with their trusts, they had a number of abusive trusts essentially in play, but ignoring that problem, they made a charitable contribution that was also looked at in this sale. They donated a van to charity in 2000. Now, the basic facts that surround this donation of the van are this, as the court summarized it. In October of 96, four years earlier, they purchased a 1996 Ford E-150 conversion van. On October 30th, they donated that van to the Cancer Fund. When they donated the van, it had 220,000 miles on it. The van had a cracked windshield and a broken fender. So basically, high mileage, damaged, obviously cosmetically not perfect. At the time of the donation, the Kelly Blue Book value indicated a wholesale value of $14,750 and a retail value of $20,425 for the van of the same year, make, and model. On November 10, 2000, they received an appraisal from a Monte Sobrero who appraised the van at $19,750. So we have here an appraisal that came within the Blue Book range. We probably have a problem. I think most of us would recognize that van doesn't appear to be your average van of that vintage. It appears that it was high mileage and damaged. And it would seem unusual that a buyer would have been willing to pay that much toward the high end of what a normal van would go for, for this particular van. They did have this appraiser, though, and so the court took a look at him. And the court made these comments about the appraiser they had for this van. They note, the record does not reflect who hired Mrs. Sobrero and how much he was paid or who paid him for his appraisal. The record is also, the court noted, unclear about whether the van was still in their possession when this was appraised. Now, this individual had qualifications of 40 years as a craftsman in in metal finishing and paint restoration, 30 years as a licensed auto dealer in the state of California, 15 years as an owner-operator of an automobile shop and 10 years as owner-manager of an automobile leasing and rental business, and he had certification in the International Automobile Appraisals Association. His appraisal of the van did consist of a visual inspection. However, he did not take into account in his appraisal the mileage of the van. That apparently was per testimony at trial. One more negative fact that apparently was also not taken into account. On December 16th, six weeks after they got the van, the charity sold the van at auction for $6,900. Probably not an unreasonable price for a van with that high a mileage, but certainly significantly less than the $19,750. The court hung its hat on this fact and its opinion. To quote from the case, generally the best evidence of fair market value is the actual sale of the property in an arm's length transaction in a reasonable time before or after the valuation date. Six weeks after petitioners donated the van, petitioner's van was sold for an amount almost $13,000 less than Mr. Sobrero's appraisal. In his appraisal, Mr. Sobrero failed to account for the mileage of the van, which mileage, based on petitioner's testimony, would have been approximately 220,000 miles. On the evidence before us, we conclude the fair market value of petitioner's van on the date of his donation for purposes of claim charitable contribution deduction was a $6,900 sales price in December of 2000. Now, 
The taxpayer, of course, is saying, okay, well, they might accept that, but they said, you really shouldn't penalize us because we went out and we got a good appraisal and we had an appraiser and doesn't an appraiser save you? Didn't we have reason to rely? And the court indicated tough luck when applying the penalties. That appraisal, the court decided, was essentially unreasonable on its face. In fact, the courts told us that petitioner unreally, unreally reasonably relied on an appraisal that was not credible with regard to the value of the van. Important lesson. You cannot simply opinion shop your way out of a penalty. You can't go around, the taxpayers cannot, and simply find an appraiser who will give the number they want to hear and then use that and attempt to use that to shield yourself from negative consequences or shield yourself from penalties even if you're later challenged by the IRS. The court's position here and the IRS's position was that this was so unreasonable and with the knowledge of what it sold for, it was so far off the chart that the taxpayer had to know this was too good to be true to accept this amount as the value of the van and for that reason they were subjected to penalties on this provision as well as some of the others they were involved in. Now let's go on to a second case. This is a donation of real estate. And this is the Wartman case. In this case we're going to find an important problem is having to explain why there was a supposed change in value. This one falls closer to the bargain purchase donation cases and in this case that's what we're kind of looking at. It certainly was a position the taxpayers were going to take was that they had received a break on purchase and their donation though should be valued at the true fair market value of the property. Unfortunately for Wartman that was not how the court saw it. The court saw it just a little differently. But let's take the history of the Wartman case. There was this piece of property that was being used as a monastery. In fact, it had attempted to be used as a monastery for many years. The priest who was running the monastery had set it up, constructed the monastery, tried to make it self-supporting. It just wasn't happening. And while he kept the entity running for, for all this period and managed to keep things going, it just truly was not successful and was not making ground the way it should for the monastery. Therefore, the priest was now willing to sell the property. Enter the Wartmans and their friends, all of whose cases were consolidated in this one. The Wartmans bought the monastery property for $75,000 in 1997. They bought it and the priest was happy to sell to them because they agreed to keep it used for its religious use that it had been used for in the past. Now the priest indicated that in fact he planned to keep it available and keep using it and basically hold on to it waiting for a buyer who would fulfill that goal of his while he was not in a position where financially this was becoming a good thing reality was that he also was not in a position financially of being forced to get rid of it. The buyers of the monastery then leased it to another nonprofit organization for 17 months for a total of one dollar. After 17 months of one dollar donation they then donated it to this organization. And the donors now claimed that the property they had bought for $75,000 17 months earlier was worth $475,000. In this case, unlike the case with the car, the charity did not sell the property, so we don't have a sale immediately afterward. 
Rather, the problem they ran into was their purchase before. In this case, the court looked beyond the taxpayer's appraisal, which, by the way, backed up the 475, and instead looked at some other options, including the IRS's appraiser and the appraisal that was run by the county assessor on this property. Now, the problem here is explaining why a piece of property that you purchased for $75,000 17 months later has a fair market value of $475,000. Well, there are a couple of explanations you could come up with in that case. One explanation would be that the market had just increased. Well, no one was claiming that in this case. That wasn't the argument. It was not that real estate values had soared, gold had been discovered, oil was under the ground. That was not their issue. But that clearly in a 17th month period would be one option of explaining it went up in value simply because that land now is more valuable, buyers are paying more. Rather, in the Wartman case, the issue was did the buyers receive the bargain price, receive it at a distressed sales price, and is 475 really the true fair market value of the property, what we would expect a willing buyer and willing seller? Well, obviously the Wartmans were a willing buyer. Uh, they took it. They weren't under any compulsion to buy. There was a question, though, which they were raising, that in fact the priest was under a compulsion to sell the property from the organization because it was a money loser. The court didn't accept this line. From the opinion, the court notes, petitioners argue that 75000 purchase price is not persuasive because it was a forced sale. We disagree. Although Father Stevens testified he wanted the property to sell at a price to pay the debts plus a little seed money, there is no evidence of any foreclosure activity or that any creditor had begun any collection action. In fact, although Monk's Nonprofits was experiencing difficulty paying bills and needed to liquidate its assets, the Monk's Nonprofit was continuing to make payments on the debt when due in the ordinary course of business. Further, we are mindful that Father Stevens expressed the subject property must retain its religious purpose. In fact, Father Stevens testified he would have preferred the monks not profit not sold the property at all if there was a risk the property would be used for non-religious purposes. In that case, Father Stevens testified he would have found another way for monks not profit to pay its liabilities. Basically, Father Stevens was not was not a forced seller. He was willing to sell. He may have conditions under which he would sell, but he was a willing seller who was willing to do it and was fully aware and would have held out had he not gotten his conditions. Because he was willing and able to keep it, the court held he was not a forced sale, so they didn't buy this issue about it being a forced sale and that being the bargain. Now the court, having established that this was a valid sale, we have a problem now because, as I noted, we're not arguing that something caused the value to increase dramatically. The real argument and the story here, and it's always important in a case like this to know what the story is about why the difference between a sales price and the contribution price. The story here just went apart. The court didn't take it. But the court still now goes ahead and looks at the appraisal, but you're pretty sure by this point the answer won't be good. The court looked at the IRS's expert in the case, and the court was impressed with this appraiser's methods and the report given. And 
the court noted that at the end of the day, this appraiser, who actually came in higher than the 75000 but not by a huge amount, was close to the purchase price. However, to the extent that the court was impressed with the IRS's expert, the court was not impressed with the Wartmans. First, the court had a real problem. The appraiser had simply dismissed the prior sale as irrelevant. In essence, he assumed it was a bargain sale and ignored it. The court didn't believe that assumption was correct, as you might guess from their prior discussion about they didn't feel there was a forced sale here. Not accepting that assumption, the court then went on to basically read the appraiser of the riot act over the fact that he had made that assumption. Under the sales comparison approach, Mr. White valued the land only, not the land improvements. Mr. White identified three sales properties to use as comparable sales, all of vacant land located in or around Neely or Oakdale, Nebraska, and all purchased for special uses. These special uses include a transformer site, fertilizer plant, and storage, and commercial sale and inventory storage. None of Mr. White's comparable sales involved agricultural land or pasture, even though approximately half of the subject property was agricultural land or pasture. Mr. White also did not include the May 1997 sale of the subject property petitioners, though TRY nor the sale or the sale of the 210 acres of the retreat center property sold for 63,996. Mr. White did not include the 97 sale because he considered the subject property sold for less than what it was worth. Mr. White failed to explain, however, why he considered the subject property sold for less than it was worth in May 1997. We question that this omission. We also question we also are concerned by Mr. White's reasoning that the prior sale of the property should not be included as indication of value. Mr. White's subjective determination the property sold for less than what it's worth is not sufficient to discard a prior sale of the exact property to be valued that occurred only 17 months earlier. While property valuation is admittedly inexact, Mr. White's subjective determination to exclude this particular comparable sale, that of the subject property itself, with no further explanation or analysis causes us considerable concern. Again, the appraiser had presumed the sale was not relevant, had presumed the sale was for less than market value, but didn't back up that presumption. That caused us some problems. The court also faulted the appraiser for not considering uh, economic or physical obsolescence. The court noted specifically that this particular facility really had to be used as a monastery. It's not as if you can take a monastery and convert it overnight into a pool hall or convert it overnight into a myriad of other uses. It's basically a monastery, and in fact, that's what the father really forced the buyers to keep using it as, and that's what it was, essentially, for religious uses given forward to be used for. That was the purpose. And what he noted was that what had to be recognized was, despite the high cost, perhaps, of replacing this property, you had to realize that it had not been able to be successfully operated as a monastery financially. That was the whole point here. It had a long history of non-successful operations. It was not self-supporting. Therefore, you wouldn't buy it as a monastery. In essence, the theory being, you, wouldn't, you would not pay full replacement price for this as a monastery, because financially it would not make sense to build this property. It may make sense to buy it at a reduced price and use it as a monastery now, but the actual cost to replace, it just didn't make sense to use it as a monastery, to 
build the monastery under those facts, so you had to reduce that, the economic obsolescence. The court also noted the county assessor's valuation of the property. Uh, the county assessor valued very close to the prior purchase. And through a footnote, it indicated the taxpayer objected to that, but again, had simply dismissed that it was wrongly influenced by the prior sale. The court noted in a footnote, Petitioner contended the value of the, the Antelope County Assessor determined is somehow biased and the Assessor was simply attempting to hit a mark of the purchase price. We find this contention unfounded. To the extent the Antelope County Assessor considered the prior sale of the subject property in performing the valuation, we find the Assessor simply considered it, much as we do, relevant to determine the fair market value. We do not find that the 1997 sale of the subject property improperly controlled the Assessor's valuation in any way. The assessor's valuation was a lot closer to the IRS expert's report and the purchase price. Given this record, the court came to the following conclusion, quote from the case. We further find the record does not support petitioner's petition that subject property was worth $475,000 at the time of contribution. As explained previously, we found the sale by Father Stevens through the Monk's nonprofit to petitioners was between a willing buyer and seller, not a distressed sale. We are also placed no weight on petitioner's accusation that the Antelope County Assessor was somehow inappropriately affected by the actual sales price and correlated the assessed value with the sales price rather than making an independent determination. Finally, we cannot disregard the conclusions of respondents experts, an MAI certified appraiser with significant experience appraising properly similar to the subject property. Instead, we have relied on three evidentiary bases showing determinations of values of subject property all of which we find to be credible. The actual sales price, the respondent's expert valuation, and the Antelope County assessment are reasonably close in their ultimate conclusions of value. Petitioner's valuation is the only outlier and is based upon an expert opinion we find dubious and not well supported by valuation methodology. We find Mr. Fisher's report, that was the IRS expert, provides a better indication of the fair market value. It is well-reasoned and thorough. In addition, it is consistent with the previous purchase of the subject property 17 months before valuation date, and the assessed value of the subject property corroborates this value. What does this mean? Well, what this means is, as preparers, we need to be careful. Note, you cannot ignore what is obvious if someone appears to have brought to you an appraisal that just does not appear to fit the facts. You have to impose a smell test. Similar situation here. If, in fact, the taxpayer bought the property for $50,000, is now claiming a $500,000 contribution deduction, even with the appraisal, you probably need to sit down and get the story that makes that number make sense. You also need to tell the taxpayer that they need to critically look at what they have as their story and support of that story. The fact is, that big a difference will attract some attention. And the story has to be credible. In the case of the monk's property, the monastery, the problem was it appears that the taxpayers just presumed that it was obvious to everybody they got a bargain sale, a bargain purchase price, and therefore there was no problem with the 475. And once the court refused to make that jump without some additional evidence, they had major problems. 
The other key issue here is the standard saying in tax matters, pigs get fatter, hogs get slaughtered. And that very well applies to these cases. The fact is the numbers were so far outlying that they really shock you at first that there was this attempt to make a claim for a donation valued at X when there was a sale either before or after that was far below that number. Had they not come in so high and maybe been a little more reasonable, they might have gotten a far better result at the end of the day. And you need to be aware about too-good-to-be-true valuations because the IRS is concerned about this area. So is the Congress. We saw in the last tax bill last year, in the 2004 Tax Acts, we saw that Congress imposed new standards on contributions of intellectual property and contributions of automobiles. As well, just this week, the IRS issued settlement initiatives on a number of transactions, and two of the transactions involved charitable contributions that have been subjected to abuses and what the IRS believes are overly high valuations. This Thursday, they proposed settlement options for certain overvaluations and qualified conservation easements described in Notice 2441 and also intellectual property donations that were described in 2004-7. In both cases, there are all kinds of issues they looked at, but in both cases they were also concerned with appraisals that just simply were coming in with big numbers for the sake of coming in with big numbers. You need to ask your clients to carefully consider, did this appraiser do an appraisal job, or did this appraiser simply ask you the number you wanted and then came back with it? you need to realize that the IRS is likely going to question you on the valuation if you get to court on this issue. And they may very well wonder what happened. Finally, remember the history of these sections to begin with. Regardless of all these positions, remember the documentation requirements for charitable contributions, especially the documentation requirements and the, reason, and the requirements to get appraisals when we have a greater than $5,000 valuation, we need an appraisal for most items aside from traded stock above 5000 Also remember the need for receipts for contributions above the 250 level and remind your clients in this area. This has been the tax update for Saturday, October 29, 2005. Tax update is intended for tax professionals who can do their own independent tax research. You can freely distribute both this podcast and the information contained in the materials for this podcast that are available at my website, ezollers.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, or edzollerstaxupdate will get you there as well, .com. That one will be no problem. Uh, take a look, distribute there, as long as no fee is charged and it isn't repackaged and sold as a CPE package or something of that sort. This has been Tax Update for Saturday, October the 29th, 2005.